So Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 21 to 23. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings.
Oh, thank you, Kerry, for uh, reading for us and Michael for praying for us as we come to look at God's Word. Uh, welcome. Let me add my welcome if you're here with us in the building. It's great to gather together on Sundays. And if you're watching uh, from home, uh, really good to have you uh, here uh, with us as well. If you have a Bible uh, with you or, or nearby, come back to Psalm 73. That's where we're going to uh, spend our time. Uh, this morning, if you can find your way back there. Uh, Michael said this is what we anticipated as being the, the first Sunday after what is called Freedom Day. Free at last. There was the title we came up with ages ago, a bit presumptuous uh, and a bit too early. But as we continue to think, we're doing, we've done this little series woven in our other one of lockdown recovery. As we think about lockdown recovery, we, we thought it, still thought it'd be good for us to consider freedom. I guess it's something that's been in the back of our minds. I mean, there's, there's the question, what does come to mind when you think of freedom, maybe at the moment? Maybe, maybe you end up thinking of holidays, just free to choose where you're going to go. Maybe you want to head off somewhere, Scotland. If only we could get there, that'd be delightful. And maybe you can. Or maybe when you think about freedom, what comes to mind is the football. Maybe you've been watching the Euros. And you think about the kind of freedom uh, those uh, sportsmen play with, the things they can do. How can they do that kind of stuff? Or maybe it's questions around identity. There's lots of talk uh, about that in our culture at the moment. Free to be who you feel you are. Um, maybe that's what comes to mind when you think of freedom. The Apostle Paul talks about freedom for Christians in an interesting way. In our first reading, you don't need to look back to it. It might be up there on the screen for you. He says this, For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was freed when called is Christ's slave. Now you think about that. Paul's saying, look, there, there's a kind of freedom you can only get by becoming a slave. And there's a kind of slavery that actually sets you free. And if you think, well, that sounds a bit strange, it's weird. Look, I think we, we kind of get that, though. You, you think about it in terms of football. You think football, footballers play with freedom because, in a sense, they've endured the slavery of their training, haven't they? The diet they've going to be subjected to, all, all the practice they've done. Yeah, the kind of slavery is, is led to, to freedom. You can think about it in other ways as well. So you understand what Paul's getting at when he talks about freedom and slavery this way. But what's really startling is when he says... If you become a slave of Jesus, he will give a kind of freedom that even if you face other restrictions, they won't trouble you in quite the same way. At the beginning of that little passage in uh, Corinthians, he says this, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can get your freedom, do so. Can you imagine that? you imagine that even when life closes in, even if restrictions continued longer than we're hoping for, to have that kind of foundation in life where you still feel free. And it's not just making it up. It really is true. It is a reality. How would that work? Well, come back to Psalm 73 with me. And this morning, we're going to see something about freedom something about Jesus, who is the best, 
and then something briefly about you and me. Here, here's the first thing, and it's this, look, true freedom can only be a gift. If you want a quick way into Psalm 73, the problem's there in verse 13, uh, when a writer says this, look, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And just so I understand what he's meaning by that when he uses that phrase, a pure heart. He's not thinking so much about being perfect. It's more about being loyal. Well, that's what's going on with his thinking there. This is someone who's, who, if you imagine, in the past decided to live for God with loyalty, but now they're not so sure. Think of it this way. You imagine uh, one of you who are, who are, are graftees or, or older teenagers here at Christchurch, you've grown up maybe hearing about God, and you've been persuaded, listening to, to family and the youth worker and different people here, you've been persuaded, and you, you begin to live for God, but now as you've grown a bit older, you're, you're starting to question it. And the reason's verse 3 in our psalm, when he writes, I envied the arrogant when I saw the, the prosperity of the wicked. Now, it's poetry, but you get what a writer's saying. Here's someone who is, who is living for God, but they've, they've noticed the way people who, who don't seem to bother with God enjoy life. And he started thinking, that kind of life, it looks a bit better. And verse, verses 4 to 12, it's a catalog of those lives in kind of poetic form. Here, here's what they do, and they, they just seem to do what they want. They just seem to say what they want. Verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven, their tongues take possession of the earth. Their lack of God, it doesn't seem to limit them in any kind of way. In verse 12, a writer sums it up this way, this is what they're like. They're always free of care. They seem to have found freedom. They're, they're free. Now listen, uh, those of you who are teenagers at school, uh, you see this, don't you? You see this kind of thing at school. People who are not Christians, people who even make fun of Christians, their grades aren't worse. Sometimes they're better. They're not less popular because of that. That's what it's like. In a sense, you look at them, you think, well, they, they seem to enjoy freedom. And the rest of us, we feel that kind of thing too, don't we? You, you, you feel it at work. People who don't bother with God. You feel it maybe with other mums you know, the kind of things they do or, or amongst your other friends. And you, you've thought at times, haven't you? Being a Christian, it really just feels restricting. And that's what's going on for this guy. In verse 16, when he, when he thinks about this kind of stuff, it's bothering him. He can't get his head around it, and his thinking's going something like this. Why, why am I living this way? Why do I come to church? Why do I come to Pathfinders? Why do I use up my Sundays in those kind of ways? Why do I read the Bible? Why do I serve other people? How is this freedom? And he's thinking that way until verse 17. That's when it changes. You see what he says? until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. He goes into the temple, and the sanctuary is a vast building, a building that says, look, life is not a free-for-all. 
So remember to keep God in the picture. And I imagine as he stood there, it's it maybe one of those occasions while he was just standing there with other people around, a lamb, a little lamb was dragged skidding across the floor towards the altar, the sacrifice for sin. And a writer's thinking, like, poor little fella. I know where he's going on that slippery ground. He's not got long. And then it hits him, watching the lamb. And he thinks, that lamb, that lamb's me. I'm on slippery ground. Because God says there is a penalty for sin. And that means there must be a price for real freedom. And God says that you and I can't pay that. He's the only one who can. I don't know about you. Uh, I have loved uh, the Euros um, uh, over uh, the past week or two, despite Scotland uh, being knocked out. It's the hope that kills you when supporting Scotland. Uh, we always think, maybe, not this time, not this time again. But I've loved the Euros. But I think the thing that will really stick in my memory is that first Denmark match. I don't know if you were watching it. You maybe heard about it. Christian Eriksen, one of the top footballers, 29 years old, an apparently fit man, and he collapsed on the pitch from absolutely nowhere, it seemed. Just fell forwards, cardiac arrest. It's amazing he survived. As many people watching it thought he died. When they, when they came back to the BBC studio, you could tell that the presenters, like us, they were shaken, really shaken by it. But I remember what Alex Scott, one of the pundits, said to Gary Lineker. She said, I actually just got on the phone and, phoned my, uh, got on the phone and, uh, and told my mum that I love her. If I ever met Alex Scott, and I don't think I will, I'd love to say, Alex, why, why did you do that? Uh, and if she said you know, I'm not really sure, and I was feeling brave, which I wouldn't be, because I never am in those kind of situations. But if I, if I was feeling brave, I'd love, to, I'd love to say, Alex, I wonder if it's because you're like me. Because I often live pretending I'm free, and that life will just go on. But when Christian Eriksen fell down and you didn't know what had happened, you realized that his life is really lived on slippery ground. And Alex, because you're a humble person, you didn't for a moment think it's just him. You immediately knew it's you as well and your mom. And in that moment, it hit home. There will come a day when you're no longer free to even say to your mom, I love you. And so you wanted to do it now while you still had a chance. And if that's it, I think it's what's also going on here in this psalm. As he, as he stands in the temple, he suddenly doesn't envy those who live without God. And he suddenly doesn't want that kind of freedom anymore. You see the contrast he makes between verses 9 and verse 25? Verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven, their tongues take possession of the earth. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven besides you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. He's saying, look, there's, there comes a moment when you're, 
Your bold words won't change anything. You can have the freedom of living entirely for yourself. But when the ground slips from beneath you, as it surely will, if that's how you've lived, you will find that you are entirely on your own. Or you can link your freedom to the one who rules heaven and earth, to the one who says he can deal with the penalty for sin and as a gift said he would pray, pay the price for your freedom. Uh, have you got this clear? True freedom, it has to be a gift. That, that's something about freedom to get clear. This is something about Jesus because, look, look God, God shows his goodness in giving freedom. Uh, someone might say, look, isn't this a big risk? Isn't it a, a big risk to kind of base your freedom or your sense of freedom on being enslaved to Jesus? To which I think like, part of the answer is we're, we're always doing that in some way. We're always trusting our freedom to, to something or, or someone else, whether it's just my own choices or my own sense of what I feel I want to be or my family values. We're always trusting our freedom out to somewhere else. But God says none of those things can give you the real freedom that you really need. Yeah, but can we trust God? Can we trust God above our own choices, above our, even our own feelings of, of what we want? Is He good? That's a good question. So understand where this part of the Bible is pointing is. Verse 17, that sanctuary that he went into where the, the sacrifice for sin was offered, Old Testament would, believers would know the lamb in some way it was just a picture. Now, that lamb, you know, he couldn't really deal with sin. He couldn't really buy freedom, not in a lasting way. It was pointing to something else. So in John's gospel, later on in the Bible, when Jesus arrives and, and John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see what the Bible is saying? God has come himself in the person of his son to be the Lamb sacrificed for you. And you think about it back in light of Psalm 73 and you understand, I get this, get this. In that way, the God of heaven, he put himself on slippery ground for you. Uh, the one who was most free, it took to himself a human nature so that on the cross he could give up his freedom in order to purchase yours. Or oh, you put it another way, the one who wants to persuade you and me to find your freedom in him is the one who's already sacrificed his freedom for you. What do you make of a God? What do you make of a God who meets you like that? Who would do that for you? How do you think of him as he asks you to trust him? You can know he's good. He is good. He's shown it in the way he's, he's purchased freedom for you. You can trust him. And our psalmist says, look, this God, he doesn't just do that and stay distant. He, he doesn't stay distant at all. See how he describes him in, in verse 23, if you've got it there in front of you in the psalm. He, he says this, the psalmist, yeah, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. What's the freedom you find? 
What's the freedom you would find if you, you trust Jesus Christ? Well, it's this. He'll always be with you. In unseen ways, you'll find he has taken hold of your hand to guide you. Now, even now. He will direct you with his word, his counsel. So as we think about lockdown recovery, whatever's going to happen over the, uh, the next weeks and months, as you face challenges at work, I guess many of us, that will be the case, or, or continued anxiety about health, maybe you've been feeling this past year, maybe you're going to be starting a new school, heading off to university. Here's the freedom you can know. The God you've come to is actively committed to leading you, even when the ground feels that it's more slippery. He'll always be there. And one day, the psalmist says, he'll, he'll take you to glory. He'll take you to heaven. I heard someone say this the, the other week. Imagine that day. Imagine that day uh, getting towards heaven. Imagine you're walking up towards the gates and you're met by some kind of huge angel who's standing there, who looks at you, looks down at you. And he puts you on the spot and says, who are you? And you're a bit flustered and you say, nobody really. And he says to you, well, what are you doing here? And a bit nervous, you say, I don't really know. I don't really know. And he says, well, why do you think you can come in here? And at that moment, you, you eventually, you, your brain starts working again. You find your voice and you say, look, I wouldn't think I could. But the man who died on the cross said the reason he did that was so that he could bring me here. And that's why I've come. And at that moment, you feel a hand taking your right hand once more. And you turn and you see him, the man who died on the cross. And he says, I really did. Let's walk in together now. That's the God you meet in Jesus. He is good. You can trust him. There's something about freedom. There's something about Jesus. And very briefly, just as we draw things to end, here, here's something about you and me. What, what do we do with all this? What do we do with that sense of freedom? I, I think what our psalmist would say to us is, look, cultivate a pure heart towards Jesus. As we think about our lockdown recovery, I wonder if that's actually a key thing that, uh, that you and I need. We, we need as, as a church family together to cultivate a pure heart towards Jesus. And remember by that, it's not saying you've got to achieve some kind of sinless perfection. No, it's about loyalty. It's saying that whatever else is happening from this point on, Whatever restrictions come or don't come, however life is, is challenging, whatever ways it's saying, whatever else is happening, I'll know I'll find freedom, not in all these other things, but I'll find freedom in putting Jesus first. Let me be bold a moment. We, we can all think about this together, what that might mean, but let me be bold for a moment and address this directly to men like myself. How would we describe it? Maybe men in our middle years, let's put it that way. And let me just ask you, think about this. Are you loyal to Jesus? Do you want to be? Are you cultivating a loyal heart towards him? 
And I say that because I guess we, we've got to a stage in life where we're a bit older, we've done a few things, we're kind of established and settled. And from that point, you can begin to look around and see what other people have got. And sometimes you look back at yourself and think, here's what I'm missing out on. And you can start to think, well, this Christian life, it is a bit limiting. If I wasn't doing these things, here's all the other things I could be doing. Uh, maybe this past year, you've started to pull back a little bit. Pull back from God, pull back from Christian friends, pull back from church. And you know it. You know you've gone a little bit cold towards God. And before you say, look, it's been a hard year. Look, I know that. I feel it as well. And a writer knows that kind of thing. He knows it personally. He's been really honest with us, isn't he? He's been saying, I came within an inch of betraying God, spitting in the face of his goodness and throwing away the freedom that he gives for stuff that will never last. And he says, learn the lesson with me. Cultivate, cultivate a loyal heart towards Jesus. We've already heard some of the advice he, he's given. Look, verse 26, you hear this one? Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but, but God is the strength of my heart forever. He's saying, look, even when it comes to loyalty, I can't even do it. I can't even just work it up myself. My, my heart will fail in terms of loyalty towards God. So will mine. But he says, God's the one who'll help. He loves us. He'll strengthen our loyalty towards him. The way we do it is not that we, we go to some sanctuary in Jerusalem, but even as we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and together look on the goodness of the Lord and the person of the Lord Jesus, he'll encourage us to be loyal to him. And then verse 24, you see what he says, you guide me with your counsel. God has given words that direct us. The way those loyal to God respond to him by being guided by his words. Put yourself in places where that will happen. As we look for a lockdown recovery, as we look for freedom again, let's make sure we get this kind of freedom. Let's pray for a recovery of loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Musicians are going to come back up now. In a moment, uh, we're going to sing our final hymn together. Uh, you at home will be able to sing in a loud voice. Those of us in the building um, will join in from our hearts in um, whatever ways you feel you're able to do. Uh, but let's have a moment of quiet um, and maybe bring our prayers, own prayers to the Lord, and then I'll lead us in a short prayer. Oh, Lord God, we ask you, please, would you make us slaves to Jesus so that we would enjoy lives of freedom? And we ask you, please, would you capture our hearts with his goodness so that we might give him our hearts with true gladness? And we ask it in his name. Amen. And we're going to stand together as the music begins. <laughs>